Today on the Topic Show, Bud Light turned out to actually pay Dill Mulvaney $185,000 for the campaign that they claimed was just a single can. Target expects shop of the thing could continue and get worse. Bud Light chief marketing officer finally is leaving. Vivek calls out Gavin Newsom for only cleaning up San Francisco when China visits. The United Auto Workers votes to ratify the General Motors contract. Mars to buy hotel chocolate for $662 million. Warren Buffett invests in Sirius XM. Mercedes opens their very first charging station in the U.S. And Cisco's quarterly earnings contribute to their largest stock drop in over a year. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Guys, say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of November. So if you could click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Mars to buy hotel chocolate for $662 million. Now, Mars is a fascinating company, one of the oldest family-owned companies in the United States. And most people, unless you're a business nerd or a chocolate nerd perhaps, never even heard of them. But they're the parent company behind most of the brands you know and love when you go to the, I was going to say these days, not many chocolate stores. More accurately, the Big Box Smart or your local grocery store. And you see the aisle of chocolate and high fructose corn syrup treats. Now, perhaps the most brands that people recognize them, again, this is the parent company, they make Three Musketeers, which perhaps is a little data that was a hip when I was a child, as a youth might say. Well, antithesis of youth, the old souls might say. They also make Milky Way, M&M's, which perhaps is the most strongest well-known brand that they know, as well as Snickers, which is classic, as well as Twix. Those are probably the biggest names that you've heard of that you now know they're actually manufactured by the parent company, Mars. Now, this article came, comes to us thanks to Bloomberg, and it turns out upmarket hotel chocolate is the actual company name which they're purchasing them from, and it's for $664 million in pledges to sell the high-end chocolatier of their, apparently these are chocolate names, Puddles, slabs, and batons. Which, I was about to say, I can't help but wonder. Have these really their names? Let's see here. Actually, not so much brought to you by Bloomberg. The article is actually locked behind a paywall. So let me go ahead and pull it up or more accurately log in really quick here. Oh, the technology, come on now. In that case, we're gonna pivot, as Ross might say on Friends, which is an old reference, but still timely since in terms of business success and licensing, it seems like that intellectual property is licensed by darn every company to gain viewership from Netflix to now Comedy Central. It seems to be a great ROI, but nevertheless, back to the substance at hand. We're gonna go over to Reuters, and this article comes to us by Sarah Young, and they go on to say that the all-cash offer, again, this is in European British money, 375 pence per share. And the analysts called a knockout bid. The shares went up 162% to 364 pence. 
the co-founder and CEO will stay on for five years, which is pretty good. That's one of the most detrimental things that can happen when a company goes through transitions is what happens to the original founders of the company? I still pertain, I still believe that one of the reasons that why NVIDIA is so phenomenally successful is because you had a very passionate, entrepreneurial mindset founder who's still the CEO of the company to this day. And now they're trading for darn near $500 per share for a share of NVIDIA stock. And they're an industry leader bar none in their category. Now, it looks like the UK's board approved this sale is 170% premium on the previous stock share price. Hotel Chocolate's co-strategic uh, executive officer, Angus Thirdwell, and co-founder, Peter Harris, all, who both own 27% of equity, said they accepted the offer, meaning the deal will earn them about 144 million pounds a piece. Wow. It looks like it took them, set it up about 20 years ago, and they stated to aim that they wanted to make chocolate exciting, succeed, bringing ethical, affordable luxury to the British market with over 130 stores. So it'll be interesting to see how much chocolate consolidation there is in the industry. And again, it makes sense. I know every chocolate company says they're the best, and they taste a little bit different, and they do. They probably add their 11 herbs, herbs and spices and what have you. But a lot of the core materials, kind of like high fructose corn syrup, cacao leaves, there's a lot of benefits when you buy in huge economies of scale. It'll be interesting to see how much of a hands-off the approach they have. Again, it's good news the founder's gonna be involved for about five years, guarantee. It'll be interesting if there's a sunset or option to renew or how long they let him continue to lead the company. But interesting news from the UK as the US grows. It'll be interesting to see if they succeed, but time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Warren Buffett revealing that he invested in Sirius XM. And of course, that helped their stock to jump a pretty good amount. So bringing up Sirius's total stock value right now, which let's see here. Yeah, they haven't been doing so great. So the past five-year trend, their stock is down 17.08%. And of course, to specify as of today of this recording, again, you have to edit it, put it, put it in the Google computer, upload it, but it's $5.02 per share now. In the past one year, it's gone down 20.99%. Year to date, it's down 13.21%. Now in the past six months, it's up 38.43%. Past one month, it's up 6%. In the past five days, again, thanks to Warren Buffett, it jumped up 8.3%. So that news just, just alone, because again, if you look at Warren Buffett's buying pattern, his investing patterns, historically, he is pretty, pretty gosh darn accurate. The only most successful trader better than him would be Nancy Pelosi's husband, who I guess this person is just smarter than the Oracle of Omaha, like, or it's because they manipulate the market. Who could really tell? But going back to Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett, he historically invested in a lot of staple companies like soap, insurance, hot fizzly, Coca-Cola water. And he usually looks for companies he wants to invest in. And the sign of his endorsement is a huge approval for pretty much the whole investing community because he makes so little bad choices. Now, it looks like just at the news of him investing in the company, it helped the shares jump up 11% earlier last week. Now, according to Berkshire's 13F report, which discloses its holdings, the company purchased nearly 9.7 million shares at a current market value, or the rather the market value of the purchase at $43.8 million. It looks like it'll be interesting to see what Sirius said recently. They're also going to combine 
a few of their offerings and try to come up with an app in an attempt to combat the 800-pound gorilla room, which is good old Spotify. Which, I was going to say, an apt metaphor, since some people say Joe Rogan is as strong as a gorilla. He's never wrestled one or done jiu-jitsu with one, however. That might be a good pay-per-view, um, but that's just my three cents. Now, interestingly enough, SiriusXM, in terms of their talent pool, I think the most well-known talent is going to be Howard Stern, which his popularity has declined precipitously throughout the years. As He used to be a very famous contrarian, really did very controversial things throughout his whole career. And nowadays, he's much more mainstream. He kind of sticks to the regular talking points. There's not as many controversies as there used to be, which, in many ways, controversy sells. One of the reasons the Daily Wire spiked in popularity last week is because of the ongoing feud between Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, who are two of the most popular talk show hosts and podcasters ever. And they have differences in opinion. And it's a spicy situation, as a youth might say. And that's getting millions of people to tune in. And I'm sure some people are subscribing and signing up for their uh, paid uh, Daily Wire Plus just to kind of gain a little bit more insight. Now, with SiriusXM, again, they're going to come out with that app. But right now, realistically, and let me know in the comments if you think I'm wrong, if SiriusXM really wanted to exponentially grow the business, again, I don't know if they needed to take out a loan for this or how they would get the money, just pay Ro Joe Rogan, make him an offer he can't refuse. Because Rogan has the largest podcast audience on the planet, bar none. And he is, for sure, making Spotify a premium amount of cash. I mean, I downloaded Spotify only because Joe Rogan's on there. It's the only reason I downloaded it. Well, of course, this show is on there, too, so that's not, now I have two reasons. Albeit one infinitely more successful than the other. Nevertheless, it's one of those instances where it drove consumers to download, and then some people are paying for the premium Spotify. Who do you know in your social circle, just anecdotally speaking, who loves SiriusXM. I mean, they have that dated profile, that dated visual appeal, where a lot of people I know just know them because it came free with a car from General Motors. Because at the time, there was a free trial with their infotainment system. And I forget if either had to put a credit card down or try to remember when I bought my used GM and it came with a free thingamajig or free trial. Actually, no, they weren't prudent enough to actually force you to give them a credit card so they could auto-renew. So I had it for a couple months. It just expired. And... I just threw in a CD because those are awesome. Not a little bit old that way. But nevertheless, that's kind of my whole view and my perception of the brand is their legacy methodology of distribution of media. Now, of course, an app is going to help them out. And they're consolidating a lot of their viewership. They, they previously owned Stitcher, which was a very popular or moderately popular podcast app. Even had my show on there for a little bit. And they shut that down because they wanted to migrate all their users and I figure they're going to try to centralize all these viewerships and come out with a more condensed, more streamlined method of reaching the consumers. And I'm sure they'll help out and it'll decrease the confusion of how, who owns them, why do I care? Like, so I'm sure that'll be an upside, but it'd be interesting. Warren Buffett's making a lot of moves. And interestingly enough, I can't help but wonder Will this be yet another thing he knocks out of the park because of long-term growth and return on investment? Or will this be one of his very, very, very few times in which he actually loses money? Let me know in the comments. Do fast here what you have to say. Other interesting business news, you have Mercedes-Benz opening their first charging cup in the USA and it's going to be powered by 100% renewable energy. This according to an article by on a website called Electrek, which... A-plus for marketing, you know exactly what it is. It's a website about electric. 
Now, I'm not sure, I didn't fact check this, but this author may be using a fake name. This alleged author, his name is Scooter Dow. Dow? Scooter? Really? And that's almost as ridiculous as a name like Topping. Oh wait. Nevertheless, back to the article. Now, it looks like this is a partnership between Mercedes-Benz as well as ChargePoint, and they've opened their very first location. And specifically, both the MMA Energy and Mercedes-Benz would finance and jointly operate the network. They're planning to have over 400 charging hubs to become home to over 2,500 individual ChargePoint DC fast charging piles across the U.S. and Canada. Now, interestingly enough, early November, we learned that Therapy Mercedes-Benz is planning a pair of its new charging ports networks, including 55 charging hubs and properties owned by Simon and U.S. Real Estate Investment Trust and owner of countless shopping malls. Now, specifically, it looks like the first one is going to be besides their U.S. headquarters in Sandy Springs, Georgia, which makes sense that better be as fancy and shiny as possible because that's very similar to retail. It's kind of your pinnacle storefront or your signature store is what some of them call it. It's where you test your kind of your new ideas and it's right next to the headquarters. And it's where a lot of eyeballs on it. On it. It's great marketing. It gets a lot of eyeballs behind it. And they also claim that the new tech by ChargePoint, some EVs will be able to recoup a charge from 10 to 80% in under 20 minutes, depending on the vehicle's platform architecture. And that would be a feat in and of itself. They also say it's going to be 100% renewable energy. And again, as you have more and more automotive companies going into the EV category, it'll be interesting to see if they can actually, well, the real 800-pound gorilla in the room, the real question is, will this be able to take on Tesla's charging station and their network? Which... They already have a huge lead on the competition. May would say both in quality and quantity. They're popping up everywhere like gophers or uh, prairie dogs or some of that effect. They are darn near everywhere. Now, Mercedes-Benz also noted that they have an agreement with Bucky's to put Mercedes-branded charging hubs at most of the former existing locations. This will begin with 30 hubs by the end of 2024. And again... Call me old soul, but I don't know. When it comes to a Mercedes, like an AMG, I'd rather have hand-built V8 by those by the Germans. But I know some people, maybe 18 people, they are looking forward to a lot of the EVs coming from Mercedes. Though let me know in the comments if that would be something that you would prefer if you were to purchase a luxury vehicle from that brand. It'll be interesting to see, but time shall tell. Now, going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light paid Dylan Mulvaney $185,000. And we know this thanks to a breaking report from Steven Crowder and the Mug Club. Now, Steven Crowder is probably one of the fastest growing conservative commentators and entrepreneurs in media. And thanks to his subscription model, in which he is called and famously built out the brand around a Mug Club, and you do get a cool mug if you join, it's one of those instances where now he has a whole network of people who could either already be independent reporters or nowadays anyone with a smartphone could become an independent reporter. And this has led to him breaking some of the largest stories of the year, including the Trans Manifesto out of Tennessee, which was covered up by the government for almost a year. Even after a request for the Freedom of Information Act, no one knew why this manifesto was being censored. Unlike every other instance where the manifesto was out in, what, two seconds? Yet he... Not CNN, not Fox News, not any of these other huge companies 
He broke the story, and his team broke the story. Quite literally making a dent in the universe. Which is astonishing to see. And perhaps also gives you a little insight of what the mainstream media does or does not want us to do. And I can't but think, well, there's only two reasons why the mainstream media wouldn't break these stories first. Well, one is they don't have the resources to do it, which, no, that, that, that can't be it. Because, again, they have, they have multi-millions of dollars, billions of dollars in funding behind them. And they are usually owned by even larger parent companies. So it's not a funding issue. Two, they don't want to. I mean, those are the only two options I can possibly comprehend. And now we have another instance where, again, Bud Light has the business blunder of the year. That award is locked in for them. I might have to send something to their CIA, uh, former CIA operative, Brandon Whitworth, who's the CEO of the company now. It is an instance where they did this on April 1st, which is kind of funny in of itself. But again, this cliche, traditional frat boy brand, Americana brand, which Belgium owned now, it's one of those instances where Lester Hirschild, who will go down in history as being one of the most brilliant, obvious sarcasm, of course, marketing managers or directors in history, she thought the brand was too fratty. She said, hey, we're going to get a, we're going to have a new brand ambassador, which, again, that's a very proven business model. A lot of marketing companies do that. They chose Dylan Mulvaney, who is a very famous trans activist who also celebrated 365 or whatever days of womanhood in which many people were offended by a biological man doing very stereotypical women things, such as, well, even outlandish, unlogical things like prancing through the woods wearing high heels, which I did ask the female members of my family, that's not something women do. But Dylan claimed it was during one of Dylan's days of celebration of womanhood. So not only was that a controversy, but then the trans community was, there's controversy there because Dylan never got the surgery that many, or some of them say is a requirement to the transition. So. Even before they chose this individual, it was a controversial person. Although it didn't stop this individual from getting millions of dollars in contracts from companies like Brit, like literally makeup companies. And Bud Light did this promo where they said, all right, we're gonna place this person's face on a can and make some history. And they did make history. And by history, I mean they lost 40% of their sales in one of the months. Now, in Q2, they lost $400 million. And to clarify, on average, a weekly average, the Bud Light brand specifically is down at 30% week over week by sales dollar amount. Now, by sales volume amount, it's usually down about 26% per week, with the other brands, including Budweiser, around 10%, and Michelob Ultra, around 5.8%. Those are the top three brands of the huge Hanger Bush InBev portfolio that have been affected most by this boycott. And again, Bud Light kept promising us, hey, it was, it was just one can. It wasn't a campaign. It was, a, it was all a mistake. You could trust us. Well, no, no, we actually can't because they've lied time and time again. And it's only about 30 seconds, but it, of course, as you might say, it went viral. And before Steven says it, he actually types this out and he says, quote, breaking Mug Club Undercover obtains never before seen financial statement showing Bud Light paid Dylan Mulvaney $185,000 for a disastrous influencer campaign. And without further ado, I will play a clip. This is an exclusive that was sent to us and we verified. Uh, you can bring this up. This is the document obtained by Mug Club Undercover shows that the figure is much higher. Wow. Dylan Mulvaney was paid. There was one deposit there of $185,000 paid by Bud Light. $185,000. Yes, another man being paid more than WNBA star players. I know you're thinking. <laughs> but that's true. <laughs> and here's the issue. 
if it would have been successful working in this industry, you don't pay $185,000 to an influencer if you don't plan to continue some kind of a campaign. Right. They were testing That's the waters. Lot. This would have become a national campaign yep. if they thought it was going to work. This is an exclusive, though. And again, it's one of those instances where we all suspected this, but thanks to the independent reporters at the Mud Club, now we know Bud Light, in fact, pay this person a astonishing amount of money. I mean, 185k is huge. Now, granted, the government will steal half of it when you have your income tax. I mean, not steal, they tax it. But nevertheless, that's a huge amount of money, which is perhaps, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I suppose in this case, a picture is worth $185,000 because I believe that is the extent to which the influencer got involved with the brand before there's a huge backlash. Now, this one clip that Steven put on the Twitter, or as 12 people call it X, got 1.6 million views and 9.8 thousand likes. And he also does show the screenshot where you see the line item on the Excel sheet and it says Dill Mulvaney, $185,000, which is astonishing. And it actually shows you Martha Stewart got $275,000 and a couple of other celebrities, Neil Patrick Harris got, Neil Patrick Harris got, Harris got $240,000. Jeez Louise, talk about an easy gig. And that specific picture by Steven got 1.6 thousand likes. And let's go to the comments and see how interesting they are. And unlike the post by Bud Light, these will not be censored, thankfully. Now, I'm looking down here. First comment is by Jonathan. He says, quote, they paid 185K to lose 11 billion in market cap, unquote. Clown emoji face. They got 1.3 thousand likes. Ned Eulers says, quote, Wait, I can get 200K for pretending to be a woman? I need to evaluate, reevaluate my life choices, unquote. I got 389 likes. Matthew J. Show says, quote, imagine giving the, that dude 185K. That got 180 likes. Mike says, quote, that's the worst 185K I've, I, they've ever spent, unquote, getting 335 likes. Let's see here. Someone by the name of ZNO says, quote, five step to torch your company. One, find a mentally deranged man. Two, pay said man an absorbent amount of money. Three, instruct said man to showcase product. Four, leave a day for MSM to push story. Five, watch your business burn, unquote. That got 123 likes. Let's see here. The Hansford Institute says, quote, how bad do you feel if you're Neil Patrick Harris, one of the most talented and accomplished actors for a generation, and you're pulling not even 30% more than some Johnny come lately? Probably not very bad because it's still a quarter million dollars. I'm quoting 53 likes. Let's see here. And a couple articles showing you all the brands that Anheuser Bush and Bev owns, which again, they own about 40 brands, which is why no matter how bad this controversy is, they'll never go out of business because of this one controversy. Because again, Bud Light specifically, they have one brand out of their huge portfolio. That's down about 30% week over week sales dollar amount. But again, they have 40 other brands. And this boycott, and fascinating, let me know in the comments if you're in another country that's affected by this or participating in the boycott. But a lot of the comments I noted, even internationally, there's a little bit of pushback, but it looks like the sales specifically in the US are down the most. And it is a global huge company. Now let's go here. Jay says, quote, I want to applaud you and your Mug Club team for getting back to your roots, which is 
covering these topics and stories. I felt past two years you have drifted away from it, but this past two weeks have felt like classic Crowder, and we all originally started following, unquote, getting 38 likes. A brilliant meme is one of those instances in which you have someone riding a bicycle and put a rod or a little stick in the front wheel and they flip over. And it starts off with the guy riding, riding the bicycle saying, quote, you know who's fratting out of touch? And then the second meme is, our customers, am I right? And they put the stick and they fall over. And they had Bud Light, a case of Bud Light, as the person's head. That got 90 likes. Let's see here. So this statement was definitely the opposite of a ratio. All the comments are, let's see here, overwhelmingly in support of Crowder and the team and roasting Bud Light, but perhaps not as roast, what do I say here? Yeah, they're all roasting Bud Light, though that is perhaps not as a board actually having to drink Bud Light, just roast it. Yeah, no, there's a kernel of an idea in there. But let me know in the comments, are you surprised that Dylan got $185,000 for a picture, and I think there's even one video? 185 k That is a lot of money. And I know a lot of companies spend billions of dollars on marketing. This perhaps is the worst ROI in business history, even worse than New Coke. So let me know, are you surprised this person got 185 k And again, if so, do you think this boycott will ever decrease or cease or even get better for Bud Light. As Manager Eight Ball would say for the situation, I would say the outlook for Bud Light, it's not so good. Other interesting cultural news, you have Target expecting shoplifting to continue. Will they ever learn? Probably not. Maybe, may, may, no, no, I was gonna say maybe, probably not. Now, this comes as again, they are saying that they're worried about Q4, which traditionally is the best quarter of the year, fiscally speaking, for most businesses, as people go out and spend money for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for all the holidays. And this is a New York Post article by Lisa Fitchkinher. And she has a couple quotes from Target. Now, Target said they expect shoplifting will be continued with a, quote, significant finance. Oh, geez, Louise. Again. I don't know if my stuttering or ineptitudes of speaking can be fixed by clicking the subscribe button. However, it very well may be the cure. Possibly. Perhaps. I'm just saying it can't hurt to try. It does help the channel. Now, one of the quotes says, Target said it expects shoplifting will continue to be a, quote, significant financial headwind, unquote, despite the big discounters' recent move to shutter locations popular with pillagers, including a store in New York City. It is hilarious, just the vernacular, the way you frame certain things. You can make things sound softer or more appealing. In this case, they're calling, well, yeah, locations with pillagers, which, in my opinion, is not negative enough. I would say morally, mentally vacuous people who steal luxury items from these stores. Because, again, Target's a luxury store. You don't need anything in a Target. And these people are stealing clothing, jewelry, electronics. Oddly enough, it's never work boots or books, which... Perhaps there's a parody in and of itself if you're a sketch comedy artist, have someone break into a store to steal a book. Lord knows I might be one of 10 people still buying paper books these days, but nevertheless, it is interesting what the things are chosen that are stolen. Now, specifically this chief financial officer, Michael Fideg, says, quote, we think progress... Wow, grammar be damned. I'll read it. It sounds awkward, but I'll read it exactly as he says. He said, quote, we think pro progress there probably doesn't happen to... Uh, quickly, 
and that was on a call where he was talking with analysts. Now, in September, Target revealed a surprise move, closing nine urban stores by October 21st. Interestingly enough, what do all these places have in common? So they closed stores in San Francisco and Seattle and Portland and Harlem. Oh, yes, they're all places that do not prosecute crime. California famously used to be a felony if you steal up to $950. It's not longer anymore. Now it's a misdemeanor. And because of the public justice system and it's a volume business for them, more often than not, they do plea deals. So how do you get someone to plea? You plead down to something. That's why when it comes to like the drug, drug epidemic, a lot of people say that there are drug dealers in you know prison and people who are affiliated with drugs or low-level crime. Well, that's what they're eventually charged with, but they usually plead down. Same thing when it comes to stealing. And it also doesn't help that you know police don't do anything in San Francisco anymore. Presumably, there's still some police there, although they, they did clean up when China visited, interestingly enough, which shows their priorities. But interestingly enough, they just are very selective about when they do things in San Francisco. And these stores are going out of business left and right, and they're leaving these cities left and right because the profits can't be dried up so quickly. It's one of those instances where they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar loss in the United States, retail shrinkage alone, which is kind of shows the cultural decay of the United States that we don't fix that. And also the issues with the justice system as well as the legal system, and even the insurance companies that they're the incentive models are to let people go just get away with crime, which is disgusting and morally vacuous to say the least. Now, they also target executives knowing that they're worried about the safety amid the increasing violence in these stores, which, let me see. I'm wondering, is Target a gun-free zone? Well, I should clarify. Is Target a gun-free zone for the good guys? Let's see here. Target, a concealed carry. Let's see here. Does Target, this is according to Kiora, which they don't want me to see without logging into a myriad of accounts. Uh, what are they? I would guess no. Let's see. One more website, one more search for it. Okay, this is according to uh, KJ or KV2 in Amarillo, Texas. This is from 2014, an article saying how you can no longer carry in Target. Trying to see if there's any more updated articles. Uh, 2012, another article saying that Target does not allow employees to conceal carry, which of course, I mean, why let your employees defend yourself? Just force them to be victims. Obviously that's disgusting and morally abhorrent to say the least. Let's see. So a couple contradictory articles. And again, some of these companies have state-by-state -state policies. But at the end of the day, I don't think any of these stores should be gun-free because, again, that's where the most morally disgusting, vacuous things in history happen. So when you disarm the good guys. And, of course, the CEO, CFO continued to say, we're focused on progress over time. It's not expected to happen overnight. Continue to say, quote, growth in shrink remains a significant financial headwind and we're determined to continue making progress in the years ahead, unquote. Let's see here. Again, their sales are increasing despite controversies. It'll be interesting to see how long they can continue to operate. 
a lot of, there's a lot of articles saying how about how they're putting stuff between behind a lock and key so they're starting to lock items up to try to decrease theft and there's a apparently this is a study by Corsite Research saying that 26% of consumers said they shop elsewhere at their local store put items under lock and key so again you're going to turn off customers in that regard so you fix one problem but another problem pops up so it'll be interesting to see where Target goes from here now, in terms of the comments on the New York Post, they're entertaining to say the least. One of the first comments comes from Cool Breeze. This person says, quote, Closing problematic stores isn't the solution. Arresting, prosecuting, and incarcerating the criminals is, unquote. They got 24 likes. Someone by the name of Plain Truth says, quote, I'm loving that woke Target is reaping the benefits of their progressive democratic policies, namely the erosion of law and order, unquote, getting six, no, 26 likes. Randy V. Peters says, quote, Merchandise locked up behind plexiglass tells me loud and clear that the store is dangerous and visited by frequent shoplifters. I don't want to be knocked down by those people as I try to shop. Goodbye, Target. Hello again, Amazon, unquote. Getting 22 likes. Ruth Wagnett says, quote, After Target gave instruction to police regarding shoplifting, I'm not surprised, uncloaked. Getting 11 likes. Someone in the comments by the name of Dennis Tiger says, quote, they're mostly peaceful shoppers, unquote. And I got seven likes, which is a callback to the good old CNN meme where they said it was a mostly peaceful protest. At the same time, there's buildings burning behind the reporter. It's almost as if we live in a simulation you can't make some of this stuff up. So it looks like, as the youth might say, Target was roasted in the comments section as pretty much everyone is roasting them for their policies and their lack of trying to actually fix the problem. And again, from a cultural concern, I wonder if there ever will be an actual shift where people shop somewhere else and they just say, hey, we're not going to support you, Target, anymore. you're not doing the right thing. You're quite literally incentivizing the problem by not prosecuting the bad guys, just letting them walk in and see whatever they want. So it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. Hopefully the culture just shift and a little, auto, a little order comes in the future, but time shall tell. Other interesting culture news, you have Bud Light Chief Marketing Officer leaving, finally, which kind of goes to show you how ridiculous it took them a little over half a year to recognize their unparalleled ineptitudes. Again, from a cultural significance, this was the biggest backfire business blunder in history, I would venture to say, where they thought, you know what? Dylan Mulvaney is a very popular individual. There are companies like Maybelline and tampon companies giving this individual hundreds of thousands and even million dollar contracts. So we we're trying to read the air. We, we think this is a cultural win to put our brand behind this individual because our Friday conservative, traditionally conservative customers, they, they probably agree with this individual and no, no, they were wrong. Now, specifically a gentleman by the name of Benot Garb will be stepping down by the end of the year and See here, they directly noted that instance with Dylan Mulvaney. And of course, the marketing blunder was so bad, they lost their number one spot of being the number one beer month over month for years. They were actually the number one beer for about 20 years. And thanks to this marketing blunder, they just shot themselves in the foot. And Modelo actually overtook that spot earlier this year. Which, again, to clarify, in the United States, Modelo is a separate business brand. It's owned by Constellation Brands. Now, globally, yes, Modelo is owned by Anheuser-Busch and Bev. However, if you're in the United States and you believe in the boycott and you do not want to support Anheuser-Busch and Bev, 
Rest assured, you can purchase Modelo guilt-free. Now, that being said, if you're buying everything else, look at the 40-plus other beer brands that are owned by Anheuser-Busch and Bev, because you may or may not be supporting them appropriately or boycotting them appropriately. Personally, I like to support family-owned businesses every time I can. So at my recent IT cybersecurity event, we actually bought pretty much we bought the whole display of Yangling from a local big box mart. And they're still family-owned after all these years in the oldest family-owned brewery, though we're not sponsored by them. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But nevertheless, it looks like the U.S. Chief Commercial Officer Kyle Norrington will subsequently take over for that marketing position. And they brag about how they won that con. This is a LinkedIn article specifically by Kara Reinhardt. And they brag about how they won that multi-year, they called it a lucrative deal with the UFC, which, again, I don't think that's a lucrative deal. You're paying $100 million, a record amount. It's good for the UFC, but how many UFC fans really are going to be influenced by that? It's like, you saw the logo on the Octagon. Is that going to make you go buy the brand? Are you going to respect the brand now? I mean, it's one of those instances where sometimes in marketing, it's very hard to measure the ROI. Well, in this case with Dylan Mulvaney, it's very easy to see that big sales drop precipitously by 30%. They lost $400 million compared to the last fiscal Q2 specifically alone. And that's all, that's very easy to quantify. But when it comes to like putting your logo on a, on a screen or on a, something on a sports balls game, I'm always pretty pessimistic. And one of the reasons I don't do those types of things is it's kind of hard to measure that. So let me know in the comments, do you think, will the UFC event, is that going to be a successful marketing campaign when people are going to see it and they go, oh yeah, that's, that's going to make me want to buy a case of Bud Light now because they're in the middle of the octagon. I mean, that might be a thing. I mean, when it comes to Bud Light, I still think the Magic 8 Ball is still going to say the outlook is not so good. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek Ramaswamy calling out Gavin Newsom for only cleaning up San Francisco when China visits, which Gavin Newsom actually said in an interview in front of cameras and real people, which shows you how little he cares. He admits, oh yeah, we have uh, international folks coming over here, so we're going to clean the place up. So, They've shown they technically have the capabilities to get their crap together, or at least temporarily. Actually, that's good. Not even a metaphor. That's physically get their crap together because there's so much excrement from the cultural decay of San Francisco on the ground, they need to physically move that as well and clean it up. Now, Vivek did a tweet, so he had this note before he actually had the interview on CNN, and it, as youth might say, it went viral, getting over 4.6 million views. Now, he specifically says, quote, you want to know what actual vermin is? It's what crawls around San Francisco daily until Gavin Newsom chose to finally clean it up on a dime in honor of Xi Jinping. This is classic MSM trick. Obsess over some random word Trump said and sanctimoniously condemn him while entirely ignoring the substance of what's killing our country won't let them get away with it, unquote. And without further ado, play a little clip with Vivek. That language, they live like vermin. Do you believe that that is, as your uh, Republican colleague, Chris Christie has said, neo-Nazi rhetoric? This is a classic mainstream media move. Pick some individual phrase of Donald Trump, focus on literally that word without actually interrogating the substance of what's at issue. The word was chosen for a reason. We are in the middle of a cultural war in this country. 
The well, you know what? It, it, it's actually describing a series of behaviors. You have Antifa and other related groups that have been burning down cities for the last three years in this country. Would you describe them as vermin? violating the rule of law. We have an invasion on our southern border. We have millions of people crossing our southern border. Let's talk about the substance okay. of why we have to recognize would, that we're not in ordinary you, times. Would you so use that language yourself? the vocabulary of the vermin or not is not what's important. Well, I haven't used that language. So, so you can look you? at my... my track record on the campaign trail, I talk about the issues, we all talk about them differently, but what I'm not going to do is play some game of focusing on some word that somebody else said without ignoring entirely the substance of what we're actually talking about. A border crisis of historic proportion, economic stagnation we haven't seen in 50 years, a national identity crisis and the loss of national pride in the next generation that's potentially existential for this country. Let's talk about our dependence on China today, we're actually talking about Xi Jinping picking on Donald Trump's word vermin to talk about that status quo. You know what's vermin? What's running around San Francisco on a given day before Gavin Newsom cleaned it up on a dime to roll out the red carpet for Xi Jinping. If he could do that for Xi Jinping, he could have done it on an ordinary day. And yet we're here sitting talking not about the substance of that, but on one word that Donald Trump said in some speech in Miami, this is what's wrong with the mainstream media. Focus on the substance and let's have an actual policy debate rather than talking to a presidential candidate instead of the policy substance of what's actually going on in the country, picking on some word that Donald Trump said on a certain day and asking me for comment on it. Give me a break. As youth might say, she was roasted by Vivek. And in terms of popularity, that got 4.6 million views on the Twitter, or as 18 people call it, X, and 62,000 likes, which is ridiculously popular. He also, Vivek actually did a tweet response to this saying, fire Rana, in reference to Ron McDonald, the inept, ridiculously, utterly inept leader of the RNC, which, again, they've lost years in a row under her leadership. I don't know what she's doing, if anything. That got 4.6 thousand likes. Now, getting to the comments made by other people, someone by the name of Final Cut MI says, quote, they are running out of reporters to throw into the ring with you, my dude. Still undefeated champ, unquote, getting 2.6 thousand likes. Pew Call says, quote, Vivek is chopping down anchors left and right. Who's next? Unquote. They got 3.1 thousand likes. This individual, Pukas, also says, quote, she is blinking, panicking so hard. Blink rate, rate went up 3x, unquote, 1.5 thousand likes. James Jeanette says, quote, don't let up. Vivek Unleashed is ripping the establishment apart and they hate it, unquote, getting 1.2 thousand likes. Bradley Production says, quote, Vivek, you are the best at not getting trapped and sidetracked. Vivek, for the W. 2.9 thousand likes. Ladisha says, quote, This should be a common sense, yet so refreshing to hear, coming from someone who's running for president of the United States, unquote, getting 742 likes. Shadow Facts says, quote, Look at her face, flabbergasted, unquote, getting 597 likes. Ram Kadoti says, quote, this lady did not expect this, getting 222 likes. I don't think there's any contrarian statements today. Let's keep going. Pragati says, quote, well said, Vivek. They chose not to clean up the mess until Xi Jinping came. Getting, I got 423 likes. Practic V says, quote, repeat this again. Vivek is a mix of Trump and Modi, two hardcore nationalists that came from outside the usual political establishment. They are both hated by the mainstream Media, like Vivek is, they both unlock the power of SM to connect directly with the audiences. Unquote. I got 300, 302 likes. 
Esteban says, quote, finally someone who doesn't fall for the bullshit games from the mainstream media. This guy is strong and focused, unquote, with flexing bicep emoji as well. Got 663 likes. Brickyard says, quote, you're saying what we're all thinking, screaming out, fact-based and common sense. Well done, sir. Got 575 likes. Diabolical System says, quote, I am impressed how this man can continue with his full thought answer while being interrupted and he doesn't flinch, unquote, 117 likes. So this is perhaps his most positively received tweet in weeks. Because again, I am... I'm not seeing anyone, and again, I'm scrolling to see if there's any contrary statements or anyone against him. Uh, some people saying they're going to quit inviting him on shows if he keeps us up, which I don't really think that's a pejorative thing against him. Let's see. A lot of people say her career is over. He roasted her. A lot of people saying well played, getting between 30 and 50 likes. On the joint says, quote, haha, look at her looking at her notes at the end of that, unquote, getting 85 likes. So, as a youth might say, they very viscerally, he roasted her and went viral. And I think a lot of people are starting to see the red herring argument and starting to call out more and more. And starting to ask people, well, why don't you address the substance of the actual issue, not use talking points? It'll be interesting to see, even if Vivek wins, President of the United States... How do you fix the culture? How do you fix the politics of places like San Francisco? Would you have, uh, would you have to send in the National Guard to clean up the streets? Would you declare a national emergency? That's what I'm curious about. I know he does a lot of long-format podcasts, and obviously this is a quick television interview, so sometimes he doesn't actually go through his whole game plan. But I would be interested to see and hear what is the idea going forward of how to actually address those issues because, again, it's a multifaceted issue, not just politically but also culturally. So it'll be interesting to see, can you really fix places like San Francisco? But, as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have United Auto Workers votes to ratify the General Motors contract. And some people wonder, why do I keep putting this in the politics part of the podcast? Well, UAW, the union, is one of the most largest political influencers next to the teachers' union. Interestingly enough, and hilariously enough, they vote and they actually pay to get politicians elected who cause all the problems they complain about, such as the ridiculous inflation, as well as their jobs being subsequently slowly but surely eliminated by the push to EVs and banning the most profitable things that they used to make, which is the good old V8, also known as the internal combustion engine and manual transmission. Now, it looks like a majority, and this is thanks to Kate Chapman, uh, actually on LinkedIn, they noted that, quote, a majority of UAW workers have ratified a labor deal reached with General Motors this also according to a CNBC report, setting votes resulted posted from the union. Seven of GM's large assembly plants had rejected the proposal contract, but that wasn't enough to offset the support from about 54% of the union's more than 34,700 workers. While the vote has yet to be finalized, outstanding results from facilities representing more than 1,400 workers couldn't beat the 2,500 vote margin in favor the deal, like the one Slanches and Ford, includes a 25% wage increase, but some members were looking for better retirement benefits and a shorter work week, unquote. Which, again, the, the, the level of effort. I can't help but notice the best things that you all own, love, and cherish 
are all made by private sector, non-unionized companies. You know, like the iPhone, Toyotas that last forever. And yet they were arguing they should get paid for a 40 hour work week, but only work for 32 hours. In addition to a bunch of myriad other uncompetitive benefits, it is, the word entitlement is used a lot these days, but it is used a lot for a reason. Now, they know that this mark would be the first approval of the labor deal with one of the Detroit Big Three following the tentative agreements. Some 67% of workers at Ford and Stellantis have already voted in favor of their proposal, proposed contracts with GM. Again, this apparently is ending the 39-day work uh, strike with them. Or they're getting paid $500 per week by the union. So it'll be interesting to see. Ratify the deal. How much is going to... I can't mention how much your next vehicle is if you're going to... Well, for the people who choose to buy General Motors products. It'll be interesting to see how greater the cost is per vehicle. Especially compared to the competition. And I can't but wonder if the quality will go up. But... Again, I was going to say for investors and people who are interested in General Motors, this was not, a, I was going to say, it's one of those things where they're damned if they did, damned if they don't. Because again, a 20, 25% increase in wages, that's not going to be good for the balance sheets. And people keep forgetting a lot of the articles failed to mention, General Motors has a lot of long-term debt. We're talking in the billions of dollars that they eventually need to pay back. There's a lot of parallels between the General Motors and the U.S. government. That's not a good thing. And also GM has a long track record of going bankrupt ever since Billy Durant founded the company all those years ago when he combined Buick and Oldsmobile. He actually founded the company, went bankrupt once, fun little history lesson. He teamed up with a French race car driver by the name of Louis Chevrolet. They started to make consumer vehicles, built that business up where, he, where Billy was able to buy the GM back. They went bankrupt again, he was forced out. And then back in 2009, they went bankrupt again, in part because of the high absorbent cost benefits and Retirements and all entitlements from the UAW. In addition to obviously the global economy with the whole shut with the whole housing crisis, but it's a huge contributing factor. And again, they're increasing that cost by 25%. It'll be interesting to see again how how are they going to do long term? Because again, GM they got the dealerships, which again it's not my idea. The CEO General Motors wants to compete with Tesla. That's what Mary Barr wants to do. Well. One, they have the unions, which is a huge increase in labor, and many people would argue is a decrease in quality, but they also have the huge cost of dealerships, which again, Tesla does not have those. And legally speaking, GM can't tell a dealership what to sell the car for. It's an independent business. They're, it's kind of like a licensing franchise agreement where they have the rights to use the GM product names and everything on their signage. But I mean, GM doesn't see a penny of that you know, $10,000 markup they put on that or the $100,000 markup they put on the new Corvette. So it'll be interesting to see again. It's I suppose it's good that this has come to through. It's like you know it's done, so the uncertainty is gone. Now the real question is, what's going to do long term? And I'll even interesting more, will the union continue to contribute greatly to the local parties that cause many of the problems that they espouse that they don't like? Let me know in the comments. It'll be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Now going over to the business blunder of the day, you have Cisco quarterly earnings equals. Their stock dropping about 10%, the worst single day in over a year. Now, Cisco is the largest networking company on the planet. And yes, I know they sell everything, pretty much everything on the planet these days in terms of technologies. But it's one of those things where most people know them for networking. When I mean networking, I mean you know, switches, wireless access points, data center, huge switches the size of Volkswagens. Well, maybe not Volkswagen, but perhaps a smart car. But nevertheless, 
It looks like they closed specifically about 9.8% last Thursday, making the worst day since May 19th, 2022, when their stock dropped 13.7%. This is interesting. You think you would think at this face value, it's because they, you know, maybe they didn't do well fiscally speaking. Well, they actually beat Wall Street expectations for revenue and earnings, but they did give like guidance for its second fiscal quarter. And again, their calendar year is their fiscal year and fiscal calendar is not the same as the calendar year, which a lot of tech companies do that, interestingly enough. Now, the company cited a slowdown in orders as customers deployed Cisco products they had purchased in recent quarters, which, again, was one of those issues with the whole supply chain conundrum. It's, it's gotten a lot better, don't get me wrong, since the pandemic. But in the pandemic, you had instances where companies, including myself, where we had Cisco projects, where Cisco's where we are authorized Cisco value-added reseller services company. Well, we had placed an order, and in some cases, we actually paid up front, and the materials didn't get here until 9, 10, 11 months later. There, that was a huge skewing of the numbers. It was a logistical nightmare. Now, looks like the company reporting earnings, try and pull up the actual details here. They reduced their full year revenue forecast. Now the CEO, Chuck Robbins said, quote, the bottleneck that we previously saw in supply chain is now shifted downstream to implementations by our consumers and partners, unquote. Now, getting to the fiscal or uh, the fiscal amount of the impact, they know that Cisco adjusted earnings per share to a dollar and eleven cents per share, beating the a dollar and three cents LSEG formerly revenative estimate. It reported a four point seven or sorry four point six seven billion in revenue for the quarter. This is not good versus the fourteen point six one billion projection. But it called for 82 cents to 84 cents in adjusted earnings per share on 12.6 billion to 12.8 billion in the fiscal second quarter. That implies a 6.6% revenue decline. Analysts pulled by LSEG had expected 99 cents in adjusted earnings per share on a 14.919 billion. Now they also say that, quote, CSCO's product orders slowed down in the quarter as consumer inventory digestion with Cisco estimating one to two quarters inventory left to be digested by consumers. That according to a Goldman Sachs analyst. Also have Bank of America analyst saying, quote, the 20% decline in product orders has driven a 6% downswing in FY2 1D4 revenue guidance or a 3.2 billion cut. Now the Bank of America continued to say, quote, we don't attribute it to any competitive factors. Rather, it is simply a return to the True revenue environment, X backlog drawdown support with additional weakness related to the orders reverting to the mean following the 17.4% and 20.3% product revenue growth in 3Q23 and fourth quarter 23, respectively. Unquote. So, again, not so great news. They also spent one of the largest acquisitions in tech history was when Cisco went out and they bought Splunk which is one of the most advanced as well as reputable security tools for SIM solutions. And as well as instances where a lot of people are wondering if they'll actually make an ROI on that. Now granted, you're also buying their customer base as well as intellectual property. But again, there's a lot of competition. And one of the issues with Cisco these days, at least anecdotally speaking, a lot of customers are becoming more and more price sensitive because of the economy. And they're looking at the Cisco renewals just for the software renewals and all that. And a lot of them are starting to look at alternatives because they're looking to pinch a couple of pennies and other alternatives are gaining in features, functionality. Urban Networks is a great solution 
and a great alternative, and they've been growing pretty well. They were bought out by Hewlett Packard Enterprise years ago. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to turn this around, but to have such a big drop and to tell people, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna actually decrease our expectations, that is a, that's certainly the business blunder of the day. Thank you again, everyone, for taking the time to tune in again today. Don't forget to take the time to subscribe. We're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of November. So if you could click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, leaving a comment is a great way to give me feedback. Let me know how I can make the show better and better and improve the quality. Lastly, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.